coming up on the Money Beat Podcast. What's it going to take to be in the next generation of great active stock pickers? That is kind of what the, the Darden at Virginia Investing Challenge seeks to find. It pits some of the best students at some of the best business schools against each other in an investing conference. Today, we're going to talk to the three guys from Wharton who won this challenge. This is Money Beat from the Wall Street Journal. Now from our studios in New York, here are Paul Vigna and Stephen Grosser. Hello, everybody out there in podcast landia. Welcome to the Money Beat Podcast. Paul and Stephen here in the studio in New York City with our colleague Chris Dietrich. Chris, how are you? I am well, sir. And we have an interesting, uh, an interesting presentation for you today, folks. Uh, this kind of harkens back to, if you remember, we had done a couple of podcasts, podcasts, talking about the difference between active and passive investing and how there's been a big switch in this. And one place where the world of active investment picking is alive and well is uh, down in uh, Virginia, it seems like. The Darden at Virginia Investing Challenge just went through its fifth annual competition, took place on November 10th. And this was part of the Virginia, uh, what was the name of it, Gross or Chris, someone, the Virginia... um, Right, so it's the... Virginia Investment, Investment Challenge. We've yes. got teams from um, MBA uh-huh. programs all over the country. The, the three gentlemen that are joining us are the winners, and they're from Wharton School at the University of Pennsylvania. Right. Um, so, Graham, Daniel, and Michael, thanks so much for joining us. Absolutely. Happy to, uh, happy to be here. Yeah, and Paul, as you set it up, I mean, maybe the three of you tell us a little bit about this competition that you just won, what it was like, how you got into it, and... Um, you know, some of the takeaways as a place to start. Sure. Yeah. So we, um, so we are, we're involved in the, in the investment management club at Wharton. We're all, uh, all three of us are first year MBAs at Wharton. And, uh, we put our names in the hat to participate in one of these national competitions. We then had to go through a round, uh, competing against other teams at Wharton. Uh, and we won that round. So we had the opportunity to, go to Darden to compete against other business schools from around the country. Uh, we, we basically were given a, a, a kind of a broad theme 10 days before the competition, had to identify a company that we were going to pitch either long or short. Um, and uh, basically we went down to, to Darden, went down to Charlottesville and pitched our stock in the first round uh, to a bunch of senior managers at, uh, mutual funds and hedge funds, and we were one of three teams selected to, to move to the finals, and then ended up uh, ended up winning the whole thing. Now, what are you judged on when you do the pitch? Because it's not just performance, right? Or it's not performance at all. Yeah, I think I think it's I think it's there's certainly a performance component. I mean, I think even if you have a good stock stock pitch, a good good investment idea, if you can't effectively communicate that, and you can't hit on the, the sort of investment thesis key points, uh, you know, quickly. You're, you're, we were given, I think, seven minutes to present. Mm-hmm. Um, then you're not going to be able to convince anyone. You're not going to be able to convince your, your portfolio manager, and, and you won't ultimately get the investment into your portfolio. So uh, I think there's definitely a presentation component. There was also, you know, an emphasis on primary research. So, you know, what – Every, anyone can look at sell side research and, and look at estimates and even come up with their own view. I think, you know, what they were really looking for was, 
were people who got creative and came up with ideas for uh, how to form uh, a unique and differentiated view. So we, we went about that a couple ways. Uh, we we reached out to you know, a couple executives in the industry and spoke spoke with them at length. Uh, we spoke with the company. Um, we mapped out their stores using software that we have access to through Wharton and tried to figure out, um, you know, if competitors were coming into their markets and how that might affect them. So we, we kind of we, we try to come up with some proprietary analyses and form a, form a unique view through, through those. Now, you talk about, and before we get to the, the big reveal, which is going to be what the company, what stock you, you picked, uh, you talk about the presentation. The the judges were, as I understand it, from, uh, from you know, firms that you folks out there have heard of, Vanguard, T. Rowe Price, J.P. Morgan, Invesco, Fiera Capital, some others. Was this kind of a, was this like an American Idol style competition? Was it, you know, were you up on a stage? I mean, how did this presentation go? Was this live in front of a group of other people? Did you make it privately? Was it just in writing? I mean, what was, what what exactly did you have to, how did you present? Yeah, I mean, as, as Graham kind of alluded to, there was, there was kind of a bracket format, so somewhat American Idol-y. Uh, you know, the, the first bracket was, I think we had six schools within each bracket. Um, and we presented to, as you said, the you know, representatives from several different mutual funds and hedge funds. Um, after we won that, uh, we made it to the finals where there were only three teams. And uh, we were up on stage and presented, um, presented our idea, kind of the same presentation, and also had about a 10 or 12-minute Q&A session afterwards. Yeah, we were, we were in an auditorium with, uh, with a pretty big audience. I don't know, it probably seated a couple hundred. There were maybe one or two hundred people there. Uh, so it was, it was, uh, it was a pretty intimidating format. And then, you know, after we give our presentation, uh, the the judges then had, you know, about ten minutes to grill us and ask questions, try to understand how much time we spent thinking about our model and our, all of our inputs and, and the key drivers. So, yeah, I, I, American Idol. Wow. So something, something between American Idol and Battle Royale. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, it's probably before we get into the big reveal again, although you guys aren't professional. The drama is so – we're, drama, we're really ooh, ratcheting up the drama here. Yeah. If you listen before, Paul likes to ratchet up the drama <laughs> too. The this drama. is perfect for him. This is how you have to do podcasting, Grocer. <laughs> but but you, you know, the three of you are not professional stock pickers. However, you, each of you in your late 20s uh, do have experience in the financial services industry. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. Actually, all three of us came from uh, kind of traditional investment banking and private equity backgrounds. So, all out of college, we all uh, spent two years in investment banking and then uh, three or four years working in private equity uh, in New York and Dallas. How much of this sort of you know the process you went through to pick the stock and make the presentation? How similar was that to what you had done at uh, you know a PE firm or in investment banking? Yeah, in, in many ways, it's very similar. I mean, we, we're sort of assessing businesses fundamentally in, in both sides. I think the biggest difference we saw and, and something we sort of had to figure out as we went here was really focusing on where our view differs from the market. Um, a, lot of this, uh, a lot of this information is public, and so, you know, we really wanted to understand what's currently priced into uh, to the – consensus estimates and where do we differ from those 
And how long do you work on just – did you guys work on this and picking the stock and coming up with it before you actually had to present it? We had – I think the, the total timeline from when we were given the prompt to when we had to present was like eight or nine days. We, we spent two or three days looking at different sectors, trying to identify themes that we thought could be interesting. And then once we identified a sector we thought was interesting and a theme that we thought – uh, we could run with, you know, looking for specific names that manifested those themes, and so uh, that we we enjoyed kind of that process, and and we pitched a short, and that you know coming from our private private equity background, that's that's a whole uh, realm of investing that that we had never had the opportunity to really explore before, and something that we really enjoyed. All right, let's uh, go. No, 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 go ahead. Yeah, all right, all right, all right. I want to take a, we're going to take a quick break, folks, and then we're going to come back with Graham Gallagher, Daniel Grinnan, and Michael Hutchins, who won the fifth annual Darden at Virginia Investing Challenge, and we're going to find out exactly what stock they picked that was so good that they won. Stay tuned. Join the Wall Street Journal at the Future of Everything Festival on May 21st to 23rd in New York City where diverse global newsmakers share unique perspectives on navigating a changing world. Immerse yourself in live performances, explore pioneering technologies, and indulge in the city's inventive culinary scene. As a podcast listener, enjoy 20% off current ticket rates with code PODCAST. Visit wsj.com F-O-E-F podcast to secure your spot. Hi, this is Paul Gigo, host of the Potomac Watch podcast. Join me and my colleagues every week as we dissect all of the latest happenings in Washington. Check us out at wsj.com slash podcasts and become a subscriber on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and the Google Play Music app. WSJ Podcasts. Listen ambitiously. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Money Beat Podcast, and we are speaking today with... Graham Gallagher, Daniel Grinnan, Michael Hutchins, three MBA students at the Wharton School at the University of Pennsylvania. They, they were the winning team. They comprised the winning team in the fifth annual Darden at Virginia Investing Challenge. You heard all about what they had to do in the first segment to win. Now we're going to find out the biggest element of their win, what, what stock they picked. Gentlemen, what stock did you pick, and and tell us why you picked it, what you thought about it, and 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 what you know? Did you go long, short? What what was it? What was the winning bid here, guys? So, like like we said, we uh, we went with a short, and um, the the company we shorted is Hibbit Sports, and um, Hibbit is a is a retailer of sporting goods, footwear, and apparel, with most of its locations spread across the southern United States. They have about a thousand sixty stores, I think, was the latest count, and um, and the the company sort of sells predominantly Nike, Adidas, and Under Armour goods. Mm-hmm. I think those three account for about eighty percent of sales. Um, and and you know, if if you really want to think about this company and sort of understand how they're differentiated um, and what their sort of um, competitive advantages, you look through their investor decks and you see they talk a lot about their geographic strategy. This company, I think, was founded in 1945 and was really focused on targeting small, um, isolated markets. Uh, they spent a lot, of, a lot of their time going after Walmarts. So if a Walmart went into a small town, they would try to co-locate alongside the Walmart. And 
as we sort of thought about competitive advantages in the context of this competition, what got us really excited here was just the sort of fundamental belief that the landscape has changed around this company and that while at one time it was protected and insulated from competition, just given its location, we think that in today's environment, um, they are not as insulated as they once were. We think e-com is a huge threat here. Um, it's no secret that online is taking share from offline, and mm-hmm. I think that's particularly relevant in sporting goods. And so we thought that was sort of a shifting dynamic. Um, and then there, there's more competition in the space. Academy Sports is, um, is opening stores at a pretty good clip. Similarly, Dick Sporting Goods is opening more stores, and so we think that the sort of competitive dynamics are uh, are increasing for them. And then lastly, their, their, their sort of mix shift in goods has changed over time. They sell more footwear now than they did um, previously, and there are a lot of footwear companies out there, and so we thought that that sort of opens up a, um, an entire new set of competitors for them. Um, and then just, you know, more specifically, um, some of the smaller points that we were excited about was this company, because of their positioning previously, um, they'd been somewhat insulated from competition. They hadn't really had to make some of the investments that um, their competitors have made, and I think that's sort of put them at a disadvantage. So um, they're in the process of actually building a website. The company does not have a website today. Um, They're also putting in place sort of a back-end infrastructure with a, a better inventory management system. They don't have one today, so they don't really have visibility into inventory across stores and um, while it's great to see that they're making some of these strides, we think these are going to be fairly expensive um, implementations, and, and they're not really going to see the benefits of them for a long time. And it's if worth it, – sorry, fellas. It's worth it's worth noting, too, that this is a pretty competitive industry. Obviously, we've seen a number of pretty high-profile bankruptcies already. I'm, I'm from the West, so I've seen, you know, Sports Authority – Sports Chalet, right? For the for for the for the record, I've actually bought some outdoor gear from Academy Sports in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. So they're actually, you know, that that competition I I have personal experience with. Um, but is that how you see this this industry shaping up as sort of the as you know pretty clear cut winners and losers? Yeah, I mean, it, it, there's definitely there's definitely been a lot of consolidation. Uh, you know, we, we, you've obviously seen major broke bankruptcies like Sports Authority and. Then you know, in in the white in the, in the sort of vacuum that's created by those bankruptcies, some of the larger large box sporting goods uh, and apparel and footwear retailers coming in and trying to take that share. Uh, I think I think that uh, that the sector overall is challenged. I mean, Dick Sporting Goods reported yesterday beat at, beat their guidance, beat the street, and still the stock fell uh, close to ten percent. Yeah. So. I think, you know, the, there have been some tailwinds. There's obviously been a, a big tailwind in the footwear sector with, you know, these sort of premier signature basketball shoes that Foot Locker, Finish Line, and Hibbit sell, that the, the demand is softening there. They make a lot of their money on those products. And this particular company has been way behind the ball in – e-commerce, in omni-channel, which is critical. I mean, Dick Sporting Goods has spent hundreds of millions of dollars, as has Foot Locker, as has Finish Line, and Hibbets has not. And I think that's because they think about the world through the lens of sort of a pre-e-commerce, pre-omni-channel 
landscape where they don't compete with anyone in these tiny markets, and uh, we don't think that's the case anymore. Yeah, and I think I, you're starting to see that play out. I think one of the interesting things about this choice is, especially, I think it's it sort of for people who may not really be familiar with the what the world of, of, of shorting stocks is all about. I mean, this kind of illustrates it because you're talking about betting against a stock when this stock is having a good year. Yeah. Hibbits is up a lot this year. The stock, the stock itself is doing very well. So I think, you know, on the surface, you say, so, well, why are you betting against that? Uh, why are you betting against that? So we think a couple reasons. So, so these guys are up close to 50% this year. Uh, again, I, I think you saw Dix was also up like 50% or mm-hmm. actually even up 100% this year. Uh, these stocks have rallied. I think they trade a lot in the near term on beating their sort of comps, so same store sales metrics like that. And when when you're when you're beating comps on bad years, in other words, when you're lapping uh, a year that ha- that was artificially low for some reason, mm-hmm. um, it makes it easier to beat. And sometimes people don't pick up on that and pick up on sort of what the drivers are of those beats. And when we dug into uh, some of their comp beats, we, we sort of started to figure out that uh, that they were sort of being they were being uh, artificially bolstered by a couple different things. Share buybacks was one thing that they've been out there using all, basically all of their cash to buy to buy back shares in the open market. Uh, that helped them beat. And uh, a couple quarters last year that uh, that they were challenged, and so they came back really strong this year. But we think moving into next year, if you look at what's happened with Nike, with Under Armour, uh, both of those stocks have been hammered this year because they're, they're they are looking into next year and have given much uh, more tempered outlooks. And we think that uh, that these guys are uh, are going to see that start to flow through their stores. I guess, like, now that you've we've gotten the big reveal, what do you think separated um, you guys and, you know, caused you to win um, this competition? Uh, what about the presentation, I guess, specifically? I mean, it's, it's hard to know exactly what the uh, what the judges were looking for, but I think there were a few things that, that we really thought about as we prepared this. I mean, one of them was just – really trying to quickly explain what the business does in a way that we sort of focus in on the key points, um, but that sort of more get to the thesis and, and spend the majority of our time talking about our view on the company and how that differs from the market. Um, seven minutes is not a lot of time, and so you want to use that time wisely. And then mm-hmm. I thought we had, we had done a nice job of really thinking through the thesis at a high level, um, like we kind of walked you through understanding how the, the sort of dynamics in the space have changed, what he- headwinds they might face. And then under that, thinking about some more micro drivers and catalysts. And we didn't, we didn't get into too much detail with you guys, but there are, there are some more drivers at, at more of a micro level that we think are, are going to provide headwinds towards uh, earnings in the near term. And I think ultimately one of the, the most important things about a short is that, and one of the things that, that frustrates people is that they know that it's a bad business, that it's a bad stock, and it just keeps running up. And right. what you have to do is you have to identify, you know, specific catalysts that you think will help sort of 
close the gap between what you believe to be the truth and what the market currently thinks. And, and, and we, we tried, to tar- tried to focus on, on those particular catalysts and the timeline and uh, sort of help, helping give, give a good rationale for why this, the stock's going to turn around and start, start moving down. And these guys, uh, these guys report earnings in a couple of days, so it'll be kind of interesting to see what they do. And you talked about Dix. Yeah, Dix had what looked like a good quarter, but the guidance was a little light, and people just hammered the stock. And it's also getting back to the point of the run-up. I mean, right. Dix had a, had a huge run-up, yes. even bigger than Hibbets this yeah. year. But let's uh, let's broaden this out a little bit, because I think you guys are in an interesting position being down at Wharton, being in school there, you know, uh, getting your training as MBAs, and then looking to go out into the world, uh, a world that a lot of people say is changing definitively away from the whole idea of, of active management. What do you guys, how do you guys see that? Yeah, I think that there will be a shakeout in the industry. I think we all kind of think that, that there's been a lot of active managers that haven't performed well. But I think there's always, or we think that there's always going to be room for people who are who are good at stock picking and who are able to identify of differences in companies that the market doesn't fully appreciate. Mm-hmm. I think for people who are willing to do the work and actually analyze these companies, there's still going to be room for that. Um, you know, that, that doesn't mean that the vanguards of the world with low-cost structures won't be successful, but there still will be room for, for uh, the really good active managers. Why did you guys decide to go back? I mean, you have a significant experience, um, you know, uh, in investment banking or private equity. Why did you guys decide to go uh, and get your MBAs? Yeah, I think, I mean, sort of to your point, um, or your question earlier, I mean, it, it's it's a very competitive space out there. And I think all three of us really viewed this as an investment in ourselves. We don't, you know, taking two years to really surround yourself with smart people and, and engage in some experiences that you might not be able to on the job will just sort of broaden our perspective and, and help us down the road. I think it's hard, you know, when you're working, uh, you know, long hours like, like all of us were, you know, in New York to sort of take a moment uh, and step back and think about what you want to do uh, for the rest of your life. And, uh, you know, the, the opportunity to the, the sort of that luxury, uh, you know, doesn't last very long. And so we thought, you know, for us and, and at our age, this is, this is probably getting to the end of that point And we wanted to, to take some time to think about what we wanted to do. And you guys, is, you know, still seem to broadly want to, you know, return to Wall Street um, in some capacity, maybe not, you know, private equity investment banking, but, you know, in a hedge fund. I mean, at any point, did it, has it crossed your mind yet? I know your first year is about even switching careers or anything like that or switching, I mean, industries. Yeah, I mean, I think I think one of the reasons for, for me, one of the reasons that I went back was, was to sort of take a step back to like Michael said, you know, surround myself with people that were also very smart uh, and who wanted and who came from very different backgrounds, from different industries, and to learn about their experiences and see, you know, what else is out there. I think, you know, the the finance industry, you know, in New York can be very, it can be a bubble, yeah. and you don't really hear about what else people are doing. And so it's been great coming to Wharton. And meeting a bunch of people with different backgrounds. There are people who work in the tech sector. There's, there are people who were professional athletes. Not that we're exploring that, but uh, <laughs> you know, it, it's a pretty diverse group. And I think 
we're all we all benefit from that. Follow that dream, <laughs> even if it's professional athletics. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Graham Gallagher, Daniel Grennan, Michael Hutchins, Hutchings. Sorry, Michael. Michael Hutchings, you are the you're the winners from Wharton School. You're all at Wharton School. You're the winners of the fifth annual Darden at Virginia Investing Challenge. And we should mention, we did not mention, uh, I correct me if I'm wrong, I believe you didn't actually invest in the stock. You didn't actually short the stock. But you did win $3,000. We did, yeah. Yeah. So you did get something out of it. Right. Monetarily. All right. Uh, fellas, we appreciate the time. We appreciate the insights. And we hope everyone has enjoyed uh, listening. And we, yeah, listen, good luck. Good luck with school. And uh, maybe we'll, you know, you can become good sources of ours when you uh, get out, you get back right. into the real world. <laughs> Absolutely. All right, fellas, thanks a lot. Everyone, thanks for listening. And we will catch up with you again very soon. WSJ Podcasts. Listen ambitiously.